You're listening to the Clergy Chick Podcast. My name is Rhonda Blevins. I'm the Clergy Chick. From March the 8th, 2020 at Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida, the text is John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I have said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Do you remember when you were back in the womb? How comfortable it was? How cozy you felt? Do you remember how warm it was? How you didn't have a care in the world, you just kind of floated around, you slept when you wanted to sleep, you didn't even have to eat. How you never felt alone, how how good life, you remember that? No, me neither. I wonder why it is we don't have any memories from that. Some neurobiologist could probably tell us an answer, but most of us Just wonder why we don't remember that. Well, there's a story that Nikki Walton shared with me this past week that I want to share with you about two babies in their mother's womb, twins, womb mates, you might say. And one asked the other, said, so do you believe in life after delivery? The other one replied, well, of course, there has to be something after delivery. Maybe we are here to prepare ourselves for what's next. Well, nonsense, said the first. There is no life after delivery. What kind of life would that be? And the second said, 
well, I don't know, but there will be more light than there is here. Maybe we will actually walk with our, our legs and eat from our mouths. Maybe we'll have other senses that we can't understand now. The first one replied, that is absurd. Walking is impossible. And eating with our mouths? Ridiculous. Our umbilical cord supplies nutrition and everything that we need, but the umbilical cord is so short. Life after birth is to logically be excluded. It's a very erudite baby, don't you think? The second insisted, well, I think there's something, and, and maybe it's different than it is here. Maybe we won't need this physical cord anymore. And the first one replied, nonsense. And moreover, if there is life, then why has no one ever come back from there? <laughs> delivery is the end of life, and in the after delivery, there is nothing but darkness and silence and oblivion. It takes us nowhere. And the second one said, well, I, I don't know, but certainly we will meet mother, and she will take care of us. And the first one replied, mother? You actually believe in mother? That's laughable. If mother exists, then where is she now? <laughs> the second one said, well, she's all around us. We are surrounded by her. We are of her. It is in her that we live and move and have our being. Without her, this world would not and could not exist. And the first one said, well, I don't see her. So it is only logical that she does not exist. And the second one replied, Well, sometimes when you're in silence and you focus really hard and you listen, you can perceive her presence. You can hear her heartbeat. And sometimes you can even hear her loving voice calling down from above. I like that story. Thank you for sharing it with me, Nikki. So let me ask you, do you believe in life after birth? Well, Jesus did. In fact, Jesus believed in life after rebirth. And so the story that we read earlier from Scripture has this fellow named Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee, a leader of the Pharisees. He's, he's influential. He's probably wealthy, and he comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. He does not want to be seen talking to Jesus. And he approaches Jesus, and we're not exactly sure what he wants, but he engages Jesus in conversation, to which Jesus says to him, Unless you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus, being quite erudite himself, says, What? You gotta be kidding me. This is my paraphrase. You gotta be kidding me. Be born again? How can I enter a second time in my mother's womb? This is the expression he had. <laughs> can you see me as a teenager? <laughs> And Jesus, in the scripture, it appears that Jesus gets a little bit frustrated with Nicodemus. And Jesus kind of says to him, seriously, really? You're a leader of the Pharisees and you can't figure this stuff out? Oh. And so it goes like that. 
But to be not so hard on Nicodemus in not understanding this born-again thing, maybe we shouldn't be so hard on him because I'm convinced that most Christians don't really get it even today. You see, so many Christians have reduced the whole gospel to this one verse that we read in the scripture today. You know the verse I'm talking about? John what? John 3, 16. And forgive my King James language that I memorized when I was a kid. For God so loved the world, maybe you can say it with me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. My goodness. You guys maybe eat meat on Fridays during Lent, but you know you're John 3.16. Wow. Well done. John 3.16. Billy Graham used to, used to preach that verse almost everywhere he went. So it's a great verse. It's a lovely verse. And then there's this football player, this obscure football player. You've probably never heard of him. A guy named Tim Tebow. Yeah, no, you've never heard of him. But he even painted John 3.16 in the black stuff he put under his eyes to play the game. John 3.16. And then when Tebow went into the big leagues, played quarterback for the Denver Broncos one or two days, <laughs> and he led the Broncos to a victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers in an overtime playoff game. And on that particular day, Tim Tebow, Mr. John 3.16, uh, there were some stats that followers of Tebow and Jesus found pretty remarkable. You know those stats? Tim Tebow passed for a certain number of yards. You know how many yards he passed for? 316. And then there, he, he made a record that day in yards per completion. You know how many yards he made for completion? Not 316. That would be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? 31.6 yards per completion. And so followers of Tebow and Jesus found this really, really amazing. It's 316 here. And if you're a follower of Tebow and you love how he, he shares his faith, you were probably kind of into that. But then there are other people who aren't such fans of how vocal Tebow is about his faith. And I think if you can kind of put people in those camps, the people who love how he shares his faith and those who maybe are put off by how he shares his faith, that's the same response we have to this language that we find in John 3.16. You must be born again. And some people say yes, and some people say, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know if I like that language very much. Recently, I had someone tell me, you know, I'm a devout Christian, but this born-again language I'm not a fan of. You see, that person likened that language to the, the obnoxious street preacher. You know the guy I'm talking about. You've seen him out there with his megaphone saying, you must be born again or you're going to go burn in hell. Did I miss my calling? Should I have been a street preacher? That felt good. I like that. Be born again or go to hell. They, they always have a southern accent too. <laughs> anyway. Well, what did Jesus mean with this crazy, weird, born again language? I want to first start with maybe what he didn't mean. 
Jesus starts the conversation using this kingdom of God phrase that we hear him talk about mostly in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Only two times in the book of John does he use this kingdom of God language. And when you study that kingdom of God language, we tend to think of the kingdom of God as being the afterlife, heaven somewhere out there beyond this earthly existence. But so many times throughout the Gospels, we hear Jesus talking about the kingdom of God is here. In fact, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus says the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God in King James Version. The kingdom of God is within you. And so as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's not just talking about what happens after we die, but he's talking about life here and now. Everlasting life, eternal life starts now. The second misconception we have about this passage is this born-again language. We lose a lot when we translate Scripture from the Greek, its original language in the New Testament. We we always miss nuance, and there's always a a level of meaning that's hard to capture when you switch from one language to the next. And one of the words is the word in that passage, again. The word could also be translated uh, from on high or from a higher place, or how our NRSV that you have in your pews there, from above. You must be born from above. If I were translating that passage of Scripture, here's how I would translate it. This is not a paraphrase. This is a translation. In order to see, in order to perceive the realm of God, you must be born from a higher place. That's a lot different than be born again or go to hell, don't you think? Is that do you like that? So we've got John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What did that really fast? But John three sixteen is incomplete unless you add to it John three seventeen. Let's open this back up here. If too much has been made of John 3.16, too little has been made of John 3.17. For indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus revealed a powerful truth to Nicodemus that day. And the truth is this, that Jesus didn't come to condemn. And that's the truth. And yet so many Christians believe that there's this litmus test, that you have to believe in Jesus in order to go to the good place and not the bad place after death. John 3, 17, Jesus came not to condemn, but that the world might be saved. You see, I used to believe that there were people who went to hell and burned in a fiery pit for eternity and were tormented forever and ever. I used to believe that. And then I began to read my Bible. And then I began to seriously, deeply study the person of Jesus and really dive into this love of God thing. 
And the more I studied the Bible, and the more I looked into Jesus, and the more I tried to understand the nature of God, the more unpalatable it began to be that God would condemn people to hell forever and ever, burning in torment. Think about it this way. Right now, on planet Earth, there are 7.7 billion people. And right now, on planet Earth, there are 2.2 billion Christians. So do your math. How many non-Christians are there? 5.5. Okay, you're not very good at math. You know you're John 3.16, but you're not very good at math. 5.5 billion people on planet Earth right now that aren't Christians. And by the way, some Christians think about it, they're going to spend eternity burning in torment in hell. I don't buy that. If that's the kind of God that we serve, count me out. But spoiler alert, that's not the kind of God we serve. For Jesus came not to condemn, but that the world might be saved. Again, let's go to the Greek. The word saved is the word sozo, which can be translated to be made well, to be made whole. So Jesus came that the world might be made whole through him. Now, if this is making you uncomfortable, just hang with me for a minute. You remember going through that birth canal, right? That, that wasn't very comfortable either. Ask any new baby. It's not a comfortable thing fitting through there, right? You see, truth is always at the edge of comfort. Always. The deepest truth lies just beyond the boundary of what makes us comfortable. But the truth that Jesus revealed that day to Nicodemus is that we are all swimming in the amniotic fluid of God's kingdom. And that, my friends, is something that's worth sharing. That's the good news. God so loved who? The world. Even you. Even me. Thanks for tuning in to the Clergy Chick Podcast. Until next time, keep on shining.